Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes of gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen Dana Gould has been a stand-up comedian for over 30 years. He's also an acclaimed actor, uh, starring in such Hollywood blockbusters as My Fellow Americans and Mystery Men. He's also worked in television, including Seinfeld. Uh, also wrote for The Simpsons for several years. Uh, now he has an incredible podcast, The Dana Gould Hour, and is also the creator of Stand Against Evil, uh, currently airing on IFC. Dana Gould was kind enough to join us on Everything I Learned from Movies. Thank you oh. so much for uh, for doing this with us. Oh, yeah. my, my, my oh. pleasure. Uh, I'm not sure if Candace, so I'd have to go to a, a dumb dentist appointment. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, can you see us, or do I have that turned off for some reason? I can't see you, oh, but here we I go. see myself. All right, here we go. Turn on video. Hey, all right, that kind of works. <laughs> Great, how about you? Excellent. Well, uh, first and foremost, huge fans. Uh, like, we're going to be seeing you Thursday night. <laughs> well, this is our office. <laughs> I guess first and foremost, thank you again. Um, um, I guess if you uh, started just letting us know, like uh, you know, where you grow, where you grew up, and like, what your family life was like. Uh, I grew up in uh, in the middle of Massachusetts, but like people, when people talk about Massachusetts, they think of like Boston or Cambridge. But where I grew up, it's you think upstate New York. Uh, although it's in Massachusetts, I was 50 minutes outside of Boston, and you could be anywhere in the in the sort of rural East Coast. It's a lot of uh, it's definitely New England, but it's it's gun racks and a lot of camo, and um, yeah, I, I definitely grew up. Uh, it, it's funny. I'm I'm very good friends with uh, Bob Goldthwait and Tom Kenny. And they're from Syracuse, New York. It's basically the same thing. Basically the same thing. Uh, so yeah, I kind of grew up. I, I grew up in the sticks, and then I, I went to college at, at UMass Amherst, which is also in the sticks. But uh, by that time, I was I was I started doing stand up when I was seventeen. So I had started to um, that kind of pulled me out of that hole. Yeah. I, I I hate to think of what my life would have been if I didn't have like a driving a driving force to get the hell out of there. Nice. And so we're at like 17, that's when you like moved to Boston and started doing the clubs and stuff there? Okay. Yeah, but well, I started to go into Boston to do uh, open mics. I was, uh, I, you know, I was going to college, I went to college, but uh, I had already, I started becoming, uh, I started doing open mics, so I was going into Boston and, and broadening my horizons outside of, uh, broadening my horizons outside of my teeny tiny small town. Yeah. Very nice. And uh, how long were you there for? Like like a decade, or I don't know, quite so uh, long. No, I, I, I moved pretty quickly. I, I started doing stand up when I was in nineteen uh, in, when I was seventeen, and then uh, I, by the time I was out of college, I got out of college in eighty six, and um, I I moved to San Francisco in the, the very end of eighty seven. Oh, okay. Excellent. I, I pretty much done Boston. I pretty much had that down. And I didn't want to... I, I, I knew I wanted to live in Los Angeles, but I, uh, I I knew I wasn't ready to live in Los Angeles, but I knew I wanted to live in Los Angeles, not in New York. Yeah. Um, so uh, I thought, well, San Francisco would be a great place to kind of establish myself, get some stage time and develop, which I knew I still had to do. I knew yeah. I wasn't ready um but also develop a network so i could go on the road and make a living as a comedian so i wouldn't have to go to la and be a waiter or something uh and i have to say it worked (laughs) it's one of the one of the few plans i've had in life that actually worked (laughs) (laughs) excellent well so when you came over uh i know that was around the same time like a lot of uh boston comedians like dennis leary and like those guys were kind of coming over too they just kind of come over as a group or like they go to la and you went to san francisco yeah, we all came up together. Dennis, Dennis moved to New York, uh, and I moved to L.A. And, but we were all we were all on the same hockey team. We were all hockey team. Yeah, we all came up together. Uh, Bobcat, uh, Stephen Wright, and Bobcat were definitely. I mean, they were stars when I was an open micer. But um, we all uh, that was the sort of the 
stew. That was the ingredients in the comedy stew at the time. <laughs> Very nice. Well, yeah. So you're in San Francisco. You're doing uh, uh, more open mics and stuff like that, or yeah, like established shows. Well, no, I, I was already I was working as a feed. By the time I moved to San Francisco, I was working as a feature. Uh, oh, okay, excellent. I, I moved up really quickly. I don't, you know, um, uh, when I was young, I I progressed very rapidly up the ranks, and um, I was already featuring. By the time I moved to San Francisco, and, and there was a time, you know, when I uh, I didn't work much. I was working on the road, and I would do spots at the Holy City Zoo. Um, I was never really uh, at the time that I was coming up. It was the other cafe, the Holy City Zoo, the Punchline, and Cobb's. Yeah, and all those still here. <laughs> some of them. Yeah. Um, the other cafe, I was never. That was the one like team. I would never really work there that much. Um, but uh, the Punchline and Cobbs, I worked out a lot. Tom Sawyer, who ran Cobbs, is a big, big, big supporter of mine. I'm really grateful to him. Uh, he really gave me a lot of stage time, and I did a lot of developing on that stage as a performer. And um, But, you know, there was a time when Cobbs was closed. Yeah. Uh, and when it moved from Union, uh, was it was a Union Street? It used to be on Union Street, and then it moved to the cannery. Yeah, I think it's on Columbus and like Union now, where they yeah they moved from the cannery to the old Wolfgangs. Oh, oh okay, okay. Um, now it's in the old right now it's in the old Wolfgangs. Before that, it was down in the cannery, and before the cannery, it was down on Chestnut. Oh, okay, okay. yeah. And, and in between that time, uh, there was really very few places for me to work in town. So uh, I was just do spots at the Holy City Zoo and go on the road a lot. I was on the road a lot in the late eighties. Nice, and then um, and then when you no, started getting not, in, not nice, not, not nice <laughs> but, yeah. and then you started getting into TV and stuff. Like I guess was the Ben Stiller show your first taste of it? Yeah, in, in LA in and then you know a lot of those things. It's just those were my friends at the time. Like yeah. I was friends with Jeannie Garofalo. I, I knew from Boston, and she you know used to come out to San Francisco and sleep on my couch and. And then I moved to L.A., and, and she moved to L.A., and through Janine, I met Ben, and, and then through Ben, I met Bob Odenkirk, and I knew David Cross from Boston, and it's really just the people, it's your social group that, you know, you it, 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 and you just happen to be doing the same thing at the same time, but it's yeah. not like, a, uh, it wasn't a planned career thing, it was just, you know, the, the, the people that were on the show were the people at the party at the time somebody came <laughs> up with the idea for the show. Yeah, I, I love listening to your podcast, and it's just like Tana Gould really does know every comedian in the world. It's quite amazing. Yeah, a bit of a, yeah I, because I started off so young, uh, I, there's a Forrest Gumpy quality to my career. <laughs> and then, of course, like you know, with uh, I know you have a fascination with like horror movies and all that too. So it's yeah. like all the directors, all the actors, and stuff. Yeah, well, I was really, again, I was super, super lucky because you know I, I'm. I moved to LA. I was still relatively young when I moved to Los Angeles. I was yeah. 1990s, so I was 26, yeah. 25, and and I was already working. And I, you know, uh, I love that stuff. So I sought those people out. So you know, I've been here for 25 years. Um, it would be weird if I didn't know them. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. it means it definitely wouldn't be as successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I, I saw the new Guillermo del Toro movie last night, The Shape of Water. Oh yeah, how is it? Which is basically just a very sexualized remake of the Incredible Mr. Limpet. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looked that uh, way, so I can understand. <laughs> uh, it's the creature from the Grabby Lagoon. <laughs> Sweetie, they but, stole my screenplay. Oh no! <laughs> we have this a bit. Pre-shot interview with him at the ArcLight Theater that they ran after, and. He said a really interesting thing that I, I didn't realize that I was doing, but he said, um, don't make the movies you need to make. Make the movies that need you to make them. Mm. You know, and that's, and, and, and I, I didn't realize that that was true, but basically the big successes that I've had follow that. Like Stand Against Evil is a great example of a show that, needed me to make it because yeah. nobody else was going to make it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Say we, we hadn't had TV for a while. So we've been kind of binging over the past couple of weeks. It, I can't believe I haven't missed it. It is fantastic. It's, it's oh, my, you, my, my wife keeps telling me it's like, if I were in a horror movie, how I would react <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah, as well, Stan. That's the whole point of the show. That, that, that's actually, that's why the show is funny. It's because people don't behave in a stylized horror movie way. They're in a <laughs> horror movie, but they behave like regular people. That's exactly, that's exactly the algorithm of the show. Uh, and the you know the example that you know the, where I stole that idea was an American Werewolf in London, which yeah. is only funny because they're behaving normally. They're not behaving <laughs> yes. comedically at yeah. all. They're not <laughs> trying to be funny, but they're just behaving like normal people <laughs> in the ludicrousness of that situation. That's why that movie's funny. That you know, is the best line. The, here's a here's a sentence you don't hear a lot. <laughs> the biggest laugh in Apocalypse Now <laughs> yes. is when they're in the the day long bridge scene and he goes to one of the soldiers, who's in charge here? And the guy goes, Ain't hey, you? And it's just <laughs> like a really funny real moment. <laughs> you know, you know, in war movies you never hear like, Who's in charge here? Uh, Rusty. Oh, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, you never hear people going, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I assume the guy in front of the line. <laughs> following this guy. Yeah, and that's really the, the, the trick. Is just You just do what the way people behave normally. The, the whole premise of the show is my, you know, my brothers and I used to talk about our, my father. We used to have this joke that if, if he was in one of the planes shooting at King Kong, that he would fly out of formation and like check the baseball game score. <laughs> <laughs> Take a couple shots and then check the score and come back. Like it's not that he doesn't believe in them; he just doesn't care. Yeah. Um, pretty, uh, pretty accurate description. It's like I'm up in the air. What more do you want? <laughs> on. Jesus, yeah, I don't care. It's a vampire loose. It's the All Star game. Yeah. <laughs> it's the bottom of the eighth. Come on. No. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Can it wait? Nice. So, uh, I had a hockey game to go to the emergency room. I had to wait for a hockey game to end to go to the emergency room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, saying, I'm not saying the man didn't make mistakes. I say, was there playoff implications, though? That's the. No. <laughs> it was the Bruins. Saying yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, with uh, Stand Against Evil, you're the, the creator, writer, actor, as Kenny? Uh, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't direct okay, it. I, I, I have no patience for directing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's directed by uh, a longtime friend and collaborator of mine, a guy named. Well, it's directed by two groups uh, uh, Justin Jim and uh, Jack Bishop are a team. And they directed the first season and half of the second season. And then Rob Cohen was a writer on the Ben Stiller show. Yeah. I've known him that long. Uh, he's a director now, and he directed the second half of the second season. Very nice. And this was like a big passion project of yours for a lot of years? or like uh, I, I wanted to do a, a, a horror comedy. And I, I wrote a show for uh, Comedy Central. And if, if, if there's anything, like if, 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 if I have a regret... Uh, in, in the business, um, I, I, I tell a very famous story of like I, I in the early '90s I auditioned for Saturday Night Live, and it was me and two other comedians. And we were flown to Chicago, and we were put up in this big fancy hotel, and we performed. And, and I went on first and just annihilated. And then the other guy did okay, but not great. And then the other guy, the third guy, didn't even try. He just kind of screwed around. And so I got off stage thinking, all right, well, I'm going to get on Saturday Night Live. I better figure this out, sell my apartment. And we were flying back, the three of us in the three-seat row of the airplane. And I was sitting in the middle, looking at them, going, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, you guys will get your moment. (laughs) Just sit back and wait. Your turn will come. Uh, and uh, people say like that, but, but 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 that's not my big regret in my career that I didn't get the show that year. Um, I wrote a show for Comedy Central several years ago called The Last Larry that was basically Shaun of the Dead before that movie came out. It was it was the cast of Seinfeld in the world of uh, Dawn of the Dead. And the reason I said Dawn of the Dead and not The Walking Dead was because it was before The Walking Dead. Yeah, we would have gotten in there first, and. <laughs> The, the regime at Comedy Central at the time didn't think that you could do comedy and horror together, and they were wrong. And it <laughs> drives me crazy that that show didn't go. That would That's a much bigger regret that I have. And so what Stand Against Evil was my attempt to do it again. Like, I couldn't... By that time, 
Zombie Land had come out and Shaun of the Dead had come out and The Walking Dead was ubiquitous. So it was just like, oh, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. What's another way to do it? And and basically, I just came up. I remember that thing about my dad. And I basically just thought, like, well, what if Gillian Anderson was partnered with my dad instead <laughs> of David Duchovny? Yeah. And, and then the show grew from there. I mean, it was, it was pretty simple. And I was going to do it originally as a like a digital short, like a seven minute digital thing. And I was going to play my dad in makeup. Uh, I'm going to Instagram the makeup test soon. Um, I found, I found it. Um, and, uh, and then when I ended up selling it to IFC, there was like, well, now we have, we have to get a real actor. <laughs> yeah, so, they were right. I didn't argue with their point. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, so, so yeah, with, uh, Janet Varney and of course, John C. McGinley is is he as cool in person as he seems in the movies? They're, they're both great. I'm really lucky. I mean, if, if one of them was an asshole, I'd be really screwed. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I wrote Evie Barrett for Janet Varney. Um, yeah. I, I wrote Janet, uh, a really good friend of mine. We've been very good, close friends for a long time, yeah. and I couldn't imagine anybody else playing that role because she's a woman and she's gorgeous, but she's also got a Harrison Ford quality. Like, you, she can kill you. Yeah. You know, she's just a real, uh, all, you know, just this big, she looks like an eagle and an apple pie and a baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> amazing dessert. Uh, and uh, so I wrote Evie for Janet. And then I didn't know who was going to play Stan. And, and I, you know, we auditioned a lot of people and went out to a lot of people. And John read it and, and liked it. And, um, we signed him, but when we signed him, I did not know what he was going to do with it. You know, you know, he was not somebody that I auditioned. He agreed to do it. (laughs) And so I met with him after he had the role. And I was like, what do you want to (laughs) do? And uh, it's a very different character than I am. wrote originally. I wrote him originally. He was older. Uh, he was more like my dad. My dad's in his 80s now, oh, but the Stan in the show, as I originally wrote him, was in his early 70s. He was a, a crotchety old guy. And mm-hmm. John's much younger and much more athletic. And uh, I, I think that what he created was is so much better than what I had envisioned. And and that's the great, great thing to have as a writer when you give something to an actor and they bring something extra to it. You know, like... Deborah Baker is another idea, uh, another example. Oh. Who? It, it's funny too. It's because I have four, well, including myself, f- uh, I have four regular cast members, mm-hmm. and Janet and Nate Mooney, who plays the deputy, uh, drink Leon, yeah, Leon drink, yeah, Leon Drinkwater. They are exactly who I envisioned, and I did not know Nate or meet Nate. I just had that guy in my head. Mm-hmm. And he walked in the room to the audition with a fake mustache on, and I was like, "That's the guy. That, that's it." <laughs> and, and then he read, and he's a genius. He's he's brilliant. But it was like, Janet and, and Nate are exactly who I imagined. John and uh, and and Deborah both took what I wrote and made it something completely unique and, and much better than I wrote. You know, much more interesting, much more original and uh um and it's just it's just great to 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 let people do what you know to step back and let people do what they do is really uh it's great on the simpsons you know you're in so much because it's animated you know you're so in control of you, you know you literally tell the animators how you want the character to move and when you want them to you know and and you know those characters so well that this was really my first experience with kind of letting go and just like, okay, take it, go <laughs> with it. And it was, it was really, really, really rewarding. It was really, it was great to see. I'm, I'm glad that I got to this point in my career when I had the personal maturity to allow that to happen. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. See, cause it's, you know, well, and, and there's always like the warning stories, like oh, collaboration took your your wonderful, amazing idea and kind of like mellowed it out. So yeah, well, it's one of those things that if you you know when you let people when you let people do their job, they're also more open to you going. I love that, but maybe not that. Yeah. And it becomes a collaboration. A lot of people's view of a great collaboration is I tell you what to do and then you do it. We're collaborating. It's collaborating. It's like compromise. <laughs> That's not a collaboration. <laughs> 
same with him. You know, like, does it work that way in, in, in personal relationships? Why would it work that way on set? And you can see that in in movies and shows that have really, really, really dictatorial direction. They're flat. Yeah. You, can, you can see it. They're just kind of flat because the the director just sits on everything to fit it into their view of the of what they want. And yeah, you don't see people they don't let people pop because that's not how they imagine. Nice. Well, you of course mentioned the Simpsons. Names. I could name names, but yes. <laughs> uh, Michael Bay. <laughs> no. <I'm just> He's a judger. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look at what a brilliant, look at what a great actor Ewan McGregor is. Yeah. Look at a great actor Liam Neeson is. Yeah. Great. What a great actress Natalie Portman is. Yeah. And you see them in those movies and they're like brown shoes. Because <laughs> you know, they're just they're in a vice, you know. Yeah, I've seen a couple of movies even with Hayden Christensen and I was so convinced he was the worst actor ever and I'm like, Oh, he can actually do some things. They have to let you be a good actor. Yeah, it's yeah, it's unfortunate. But uh, now they have and, and, and the reverse is true, a good director can make a bad actor look great. Nice. Yeah, you, know, you can cut somebody. You can cut a great performance out of somebody if you know the right pieces to get. Excellent. Well, it's you know, true. Disney's in control now, so yeah. I've had directors make me look good. <laughs> so we blame them, uh huh? Yeah, make me look good. I blame myself. Nice. So you already have your tickets for Last Jedi when it comes out next week, or? No, I don't. I just, I just, here's what I hope. I know this is a long shot. I know this is a long shot, but I hope it ends. With a giant space battle, the rebels aren't supposed to win, but do while cross-cutting to a sword fight. I just hope that's how it ends. I you, know that's unlikely. You know that's cool, but there needs to be a giant like planetary explosion somewhere in there too. Yeah, there's got to be some sort of improbable weapon. And uh, yeah, they really. I was dis not to like super nerd out, but like I thought the idea of Rogue One was such a great idea, like yeah. to basically do a spy movie in the Star Wars universe, yeah. and then they just turned it into Star Wars at the end. It was, <laughs> it was really disappointing, because I, I loved that idea of just a spy movie in yeah. Star Wars. And do, do the spy who came in from the cold, or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but yeah. set it in that universe. And uh, they're like, nah, what if we didn't do that at all? <laughs> yeah, same. Well, you know, episode nine, it may be like an ode to like dinner with Andre or something like that, and it's... I, I predict there's... I predict this... I mean... Maybe it's just, you know, my I have kids that are that age. They're not excited about it. I, I, oh. I, I don't know if there's going to be a fatigue. It might set in. Yeah, it might, but it, now, there's there's always fans. I mean, the way yeah. to bring it all back is uh, the rebels win the fight. They're not supposed to win, but their ship is injured. They crash land on a planet, and they're rescued by these super smart apes. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll Caesar, last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh. Planet of the Jedis. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you blew it up. The Death Star. You blew it up again. Blow up Dan Tweedy. Just cut to Charlton Heston. You blew it up. Nice. Wait. <laughs> There's an idea here. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you mentioned you uh, worked on The Simpsons. Was it uh, five or six years you were a writer with them? Uh, yeah, six, seven. Six, seven. Okay. Excellent. And yeah. how how was that experience? Like, it was already. It was I mean, it was. I learned how to be a writer there. You know, I I I learned how to be a funny person. I, I went from being a funny person to a writer. Excellent. And and the the first thing that I learned there because I was kind of known when I started working there. I had specials and I was an actor. I'd been on Seinfeld and, you know, I, I, I was like a known quantity. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to allow your ego to be obliterated <laughs> uh, because no one there cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Uh, as it should be. Yeah. As it should be. And uh, that was the first thing I learned was just sort of set, set my ego aside and really serve the script. And I really uh, learned a lot, 
and uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for my time there. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm also glad I didn't stay. <laughs> I, 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 my life, I have more money, but um, I like that I get to, to, to do different things and to take those skills that I learned and apply them to different ideas. I'm, you know, developing. Right now, I'm writing a, a graphic novel. I'm a, oddly, I'm, I'm adapting Rod Serling's first draft of Planet of the Apes as a graphic novel for Boom Comics. And it's the first draft is based on the Pierre Boulle book where they live in a city. And it's a much different movie than what you originally saw. It's very much a political thriller. It has a lot more in common with Seven Days in May or The Manchurian Candidate yeah. than Planet of the Apes. It's a very quiet movie. It's not a very big action movie. And it takes place in a city and there are helicopters and all sorts of things. <laughs> it's a very different movie. And I'm, I'm, I'm adapting that for, for Boom Comics. I'll be a graphic novel that comes out probably spring or late winter uh if i ever finish um, <laughs> for my birthday yeah just in time for her birthday yeah. <laughs> what was that i said just in time for my birthday <laughs> well we'll try we'll, we'll try but yeah it's really interesting I, you know i get to read his early drafts and every day i get up and spend three hours wondering what words of rod serling i'm going to cut that's not too Ooh. not too daunting <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> yeah oh that's awesome my brain's out every day so I, I, I mean, I'm very lucky in that I have like these two careers that I can do stand up. Which I mean, I do stand up because I, I I love doing it, and it's it's not a hobby because a hobby implies you don't take it seriously. I take it very very seriously. Yeah. But it, it's just something that I kind of I, I I do for the love of it. I make my living and support my family as a writer. So uh, I it, it, I'm very lucky that I get to do both. You know, and I don't have to go out to like, I you know I I can still be a standard comedian, but I can see my kids grow up because I'm not gone 300 days a year. Yeah, about like something I know. Yeah, I was gonna say like about how many uh, you mentioned you're on tour and stuff. Like about how many like road dates I do you have a year? Like once every I go like I go out a week and then I'm home for two and then I go out a week and then I'm home for two or three and and that way it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't get stale. It, it, it always stays exciting, and uh, I don't. Uh, and then I can have a real life. Yeah, that's that sounds great. I'm sure it's hard work and all that with writing and constantly coming up new material and everything. But it oh, sounds I like a dream. Goddamn minute! I never. Yeah, and then, then I have kids, and my girlfriend has kids, and it, you know, it's just like a, it's a. I have a very. I have a very busy life. <laughs> very, very Brady Bunch situation? But, is it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of it. Yeah, we're not in the same house yet, but there's a, there's a, there's three and three, so you yeah. do the math. I say, I, <laughs> you just got to get a housekeeper and I smell a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, 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 um, it's me, me having free time and it, that's a terrible combination. <laughs> I'm not somebody you want to just filling up a day. Uh, the idle hands doing devil's work. I see. Yeah, that's, exactly, that's, exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, I actually have a question. So I am also a huge movie nerd, and um, that's actually how I got into your podcast, and then I got my lovely husband into your comedy and podcast. Oh, that's that's true. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you. And uh, actually, thanks to your lovely I podcast. Have to do this week is finish that for December. Yes, please. Um, so, uh, actually, thanks to your podcast, I learned a term I had never heard of, uh, the Monster Kids, and it's like, oh, that's exactly okay, what I am. Yeah, yeah. I love, I've always loved monster movies. Growing up, Big Trouble in Little China and Tremors were, like, my favorite movies of all time, because <laughs> I'm a classy girl. Uh, so, I have a question. On your podcast, I keep hearing you say over and over again, Carnival of Souls is such yeah. a magnificent film, and I own a copy of it. Uh, and I don't know if it's maybe the edit I have or whatever, but um, what am I missing? <laughs> I've been oh, to Solitaire. Uh, um, I, no, I, I, I love it, but it's a, uh, I, I think the, the thing you have to appreciate with it, and I don't know what cut you have. If you look at the Criterion one, that's like the best one. Mm -hmm. Every Everything that it does that you think you've seen before or that feels familiar, it did first. It that was before sense. Night of the Living Dead. It was before all that, all those mm -hmm. other things. And uh, it's also very much a, like a French surrealist film at the end. It, it yeah. really goes off the rails oh, yeah. and becomes like this crazy dream sequence. So 
Uh, I, I would put it in the same school with like a racer head, and, and, and like like it, it's it's you don't it's not like a popcorn movie. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's there's a homework quality to it, but um, what I you know I love just the story that it's the only narrative film he ever made, mm-hmm. uh, and it sort of set the template for an entire genre of movies. Uh, that followed like 10 years later. It was really ahead of its time and it was, you know, it was was made in 62. Um, It was really ahead of its time and it was really uh, uh, an important, uh, an important, so. So it's like the Citizen Kane of horror movies. It's what it's done for the industry. Yeah, in that regard, yeah. It's like you you have to kind of, yeah. Or like um, Carl Perkins. You might not want to listen to Carl Perkins, but if you like the Beatles... You have to love Carl Perkins. Yes. <laughs> guitar fill is him. Uh, so it's 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 that sort of it's that sort of thing. Oh. Um, it's 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 more of an important movie. And I really loved it, but I got into it, you know, like the height of David Lynch mania. Oh yeah. Uh, did you guys watch season? Did you guys watch the Return of oh, Twin Peaks? I yeah, I know you weren't. Too deep. Oh, no, we we watched we've watched the uh, first couple seasons a couple times. We haven't seen the new one yet, but we hear mixed reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we bother. we actually did an episode of our podcast on uh, Fire Walk with Me and the uh, interesting interesting experience that was. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing that the night it came out, and I walked out of it going, "What did I ever do to you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to prepare for it, we made the mistake of watching Blue Velvet, and oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a much better film. Than I, I, I actually really love Blue Velvet. I think Blue Velvet's hilarious. Yeah, say, um, it's, it's very unique. Yeah. <laughs> but Blue Velvet to me is really funny. Like Blue yeah. Velvet is like the first season of Twin Peaks. Like it knows what it's doing and it has a center of gravity to it. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just goes crazy. Nice. Well, I, one of the first things I, I just actually realized is listening to your podcast. Uh, you were the voice on the Gex video game. Uh, <laughs> And as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, I cannot escape it. Yeah, I will say, well, it was like, as soon as you had mentioned it on the podcast, I was like, lock and load, little lizard. Yeah, that's, that's, that's him. Written with Rob, written with Rob Cohen from the Ben Stiller show. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and now Stand Against Evil, too, yeah. And now Stand Against Evil, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. It's <laughs> funny. Uh, yeah, no, I was, uh, people, that game is beloved by people. It, it is. Yeah, it is. When I go on the road, inevitably I will get somebody will bring a cartridge to sign. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry. I bring my. I, I apparently lost mine over the years. But... <laughs> well, now people think he's coming back because he looks so much like the Geico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was the kind of thing too. It was like when those commercials came out. I was like, oh, there's bringing Gex back. Now he's CGI. Yeah, exactly. I got it. <laughs> oh, Gex is CG now. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what's up with his accent? That's not Danny Gould. <laughs> So we're we're back to stand against evil. Yeah, I have to ask, what was it like working with Daffodil the Pony? She, she was a she was a delight. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, it was funny. We had we had Daffodil, and then we had uh, a real horse. And and uh, at the beginning of that episode, there's a real horse. Mm-hmm. And so that and that was the week that my kids were visiting the set because we shoot it in Atlanta. <laughs> so there was a, there was a lot of uh, horses around and. Uh, I'm not a horse dude. I've written, I've written them, but I don't enjoy it. Uh, I, I, I described riding a motorcycle as being, uh, being dragged through the woods on a motorcycle that hates you. <laughs> but, uh, the, the, the pony, the pony was, the pony was really cool. The big horse we shot near these, uh, railroad, this, we didn't know it at the time, but one of our locations is the busiest railway intersection in America. Oh. Like for 20 seconds, and tw- little 20-second bursts in between the train going by. And um, the, 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 the big horse was standing there, and the train came by and blew its whistle. Oh. And I now know the origin of the phrase, scared shitless. <laughs> so wait, how often does the train go by? So like, often you don't even notice. Twice a minute. <laughs> But it was just, I was standing there, so I was just, just, okay, he's ready. Yeah, that that episode uh, specifically is very American werewolf in London, like with the, uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was a great job by Jack and Justin, and um, our our music composer, Evan Schletter, uh, all of that stuff, 
was it was very much uh, an homage to uh, to werewolf. Excellent. Yeah, Evan Schletter, amazing, amazing artist. You hear him on the uh, uh, Spontaneous Nation with Paul F. Tompkins yeah, as well. It's amazing. Yeah, and he goes back to Mr. I, you know, he's, again, you know, how did you get Evan Schletter? He's my friend who's a musician. <laughs> <laughs> he crashed on my couch for three months. <laughs> no, 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 it's just like he was on Mr. Show, which came from, you know, Mr. Show was just the people on Ben Stiller that weren't doing anything at the time. You know, it's, like, it's, it's the same group of people, and Fortunately, they're all really brilliant. Yeah. Evan is crazy, crazy brilliant. Yeah, and it's always amazing to hear, like, oh, yeah, we were, like, roommates off and off here. Like, oh, yeah, you know, Zach Galifianakis came in for a couple months and then went out. And <laughs> yeah, all... yeah, yeah, it's just that that's, I think it's the same with music. It's just like, well, how did he get the band? He was around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty you cool. find that it's the same thing. You know, all those, the original, like, the 70s filmmakers like Coppola, Spielberg, Lucas, Brian De Palma, all those guys, they were just friends. Yeah, you know, they were all in each other's houses. Uh, that's how they all came up together. Just, I think that's like that with any, I think it was like that with the Silicon Valley. It was just like, those are the guys that were, that were hanging out at that time. Unless you're my dad and you punch one of them in the face and get kicked out of the computer club. Oh no. That's, that's a true story. <laughs> Oh, uh, he punched Steve Jobs before he was Steve Jobs. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that's, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. Thomas Fisher, uh, current owner of Inside Computers. <laughs> You've never heard of them for a reason. <laughs> I bet he's quietly happy. Oh, he's not quietly. He's quite proud of himself. <laughs> I, you, you talk about your dad, and my dad is the... Uh, the California version. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's funny. I get that totally. That's it. <laughs> nice. All right. So another one of my wife's favorite movies of all time, and mine, mine I like as well. My fellow Americans. Oh my god. What? What was it like? <laughs> work. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Were you expecting Mystery Men? Because that was pretty cool too. But. Oh yeah. It's so funny you say that. I was at a party, Saturday night, a Christmas party. I don't know if you know who Arden Marine is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was at Arden's house for a Christmas party, and Wayne Fetterman, the comedian, walked up to me and just said, I was just watching a Jack Lemmon movie, and then you were in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you get to work with Jack in, uh, of course? I spent the... three days with Jack Lemmon and James Garner. Oh, I love James Garner. Them, just sitting around. It was the greatest experience ever. And by the third day, you're like, hey, Jack. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. So, Hello, Hugh... Hello, love. <laughs> Hello. All right, so we're... Nice guy, bro. Uh, how he was... He was trying to quit smoking. He was a little crappy. Uh, <laughs> he was a little crappy. But he was nice, but he was just like... <laughs> yeah, we, we just love the Rockford Files. So it was like uh, I was like working with James Garner. You know? <laughs> he was great. He was, he was really sweet. He was, you know... He was, uh, but he, he had some really great stories, and uh, you know he was a real dude. He was a man. Yeah. And he was telling stories about being in Bruce Lee's dojo. <laughs> like, yeah, it was me and Jimmy Coburn and RJ. Mm. And I know, like, <laughs> it was Robert Wagner. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, like every and like, you know these people are all legends. Yeah, Steve McQueen and. Jabbar, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like all these guys. <laughs> Jack Lemmon was talking, telling me, and he said, and Marilyn was there, and you realize he's talking about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> it was just Marilyn. And Marilyn was there, and uh, and uh, crazy. And uh, who was my co-star? Tony. Tony, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's just, it's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. But you, hopefully you, uh, I, was really, I was really lucky too to get that gig to be able to the, the, the weird story I, I have is after we shot it about two weeks later I was driving my car through LA I was in Beverly Hills coming home from something and I was in traffic and I just heard a beep and I looked and it was Jack Lemon in his car waving nice. <laughs> insane to me so like, oh Jack Lemon just alright so wait that's not how it is constantly in LA I just assume <laughs> no it's not I, I traffic i was in the mid wilshire uh, next to joe strummer once yeah 
I was on the Bay Bridge with Neil Young. Those are my <laughs> celebrity sightings. Very nice. Oh. I love it. I just assume it's like you're going to Starbucks and it's like, oh, hey, Kevin Bacon, how's it going? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you see that a little bit, but yeah, it's, uh, it's it, they're not as ubiquitous as you think. You and, see them in weird places. Like, you go to Ojai and it's like, you know. But, well, the, the one weirdest thing was uh, on Ventura Boulevard in Studio City, impatiently waiting for Stephen Stills to pull out so I could take his parking space. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You're just like us. Yeah. <laughs> you love the one you're with at home so I can park here, please? <laughs> Excellent. And, and you were also uh, in Father's Day with Robin Williams, Billy Crystal. Yeah. How, yeah. how was that experience? And so, again, I got, I mean, I got that through Robin, who was a, a friend, yeah. and, 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 and basically Robin was nice enough to, to like, put me in that. And then, um, and, I, and I see Billy a lot because uh, his daughter and I are parents of the same school. Oh. But his daughter Jennifer and I are our kids go to the same school, so I always see Billy at functions. So it's just, again, it's a weird, like, I was just chatting with Billy Crystal the other day. (laughs) (laughs) He was behind me honking because I was taking too long to pick up the kids. (laughs) You know, I did not think he would remember me. He totally remembered. Oh, nice. He's got a steel drop rain. I hadn't seen him in years, and I introduced myself. I said, hi, Billy. I'm sure you don't remember me. He goes, hey, you're Danny. You're Robin's friend. How are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some people like for me, I'm always like, I know your face from somewhere. I think it starts yeah. with a J, but yeah, most people are like, oh yeah, you're this person. And I remember yeah, this no, and this, and this. He's, he's spooky, spooky good at that stuff. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Either that or you're just that memorable. There you go. Or I had a TV show. I was wearing my I'm Dana Robbins friend t-shirt. Oh, oh. well. <laughs> well that, that's a great icebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got a new special coming out? Uh, I, I, I didn't do a, I, I was going to do a special, mm-hmm. and, but I was getting ready to go to Atlanta to shoot the show, uh, mm-hmm. second season of Standing Against Steve. And there was a production hiccup with the company that was going to make the special. Mm-hmm. And they had to move it, and the move production, which would have meant that I would have had to record it like four months later because... I would not, it was in the middle of production of Standing Against Evil, I couldn't do it then, and then I would have had to rap, edit, post, go on the road for a month to get the material in shape, and, and then record the special. And comedy material, it has a shelf life yeah. to you, and you can feel it getting old. Okay. You know? And, uh, or, or not old, but you can feel the, you can feel it getting ripe, is a better way to put it. You can feel it getting ripe. And, and all of this material, I was like, this stuff is this stuff is ready to go. And I don't know how good it's going to be if I take four months off and then try to relearn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so instead, I just recorded it as an album. Oh, nice. Uh, and I said, let's just get it down, and I'll do a special for the next batch of material. And... Uh, and th- and that's what I that's what I did. Uh, so I recorded it. It's called Mr. Funny Man. It's on uh, Kill Rock Stars. It just came out, and uh, it came out in October. It's doing very well. <laughs> and the next batch of material I'm working on now will be a special, and that's what I'm working on now. So if you guys come out to the Punchline in San Francisco this weekend, you'll see the beginnings of that next special. Yay! Excellent. Excellent. Well, we we'll be there on Thursday. I'll be the chick in the Bell of Aqua heating an air shirt. <laughs> yes, they're back. I finally got to, John Ennis and I were out, finally able to connect and and go back to doing two guys from Boston, which I was very uh, people people really love it. Yeah, the triumphant return. <laughs> I thought I I that's definitely one of those things where like Andy Kindler said something that I always quote, which is, uh, my target audience is men my age who are me. <laughs> <laughs> and I always felt that about everything I did. Like, everything I did was so specific. Stand Against Evil is this crazily specific show. The way I do my stand-up is very specific. And in, this detriment, in a detrimental sense, I, I, I uh, you know, I have a nice 
my, my, uh, I, I, I'm not performing where Jeff Dunham is performing, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I'll go into town and I'll work at Uncle Lucky's Chuckle Hutch and <laughs> Jeff Dunham will be, you know, performing in a dry lake bed. <laughs> no, largest number of seats before infinity for the new Jeff Dunham show. Um, but, uh, I tend to be a lot more niche, I guess is the word. And everything I do tends to fit into that weird, like, my comedy is very niche. My TV show is very niche. Uh, but uh, you just have to do that. You just have to be. It's like you just have to be true to what you do. Yeah, and you have a, definitely a very passionate fan base, I assume. I mean, yes, I know for sir. us, definitely. But Yeah, I'm very, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm really happy that people uh, like it. It's like, you know, it's funny. It's I always draw musical analogies. And uh, it's like my, the, I don't like the term girlfriend because she's not a girl, she's a woman, but, but woman <laughs> friend, it sounds like somebody you have, grandpa brings to Thanksgiving dinner with him in case his machine breaks down. She's uh, your lady friend because she's classy. Lady friend, yeah. Adult, <laughs> adult human woman social companion. Um, she really loves Nick Cave and it's sort of like <clears throat> Nick Cave has his fans. They buy everything he does when it comes out. They really support him, but he's, he's not out selling out Dodger Stadium but he always has a every time he makes something you know it's good because you Mm -hmm. believe in his voice and his fans support it and and, uh, I think that's the best way to have a long career build your fan base in it serve that yeah so that's what I try to do as somebody outside your target demographic, uh, I can say <laughs> I do have all of your podcasts and I've got one of your shirts and your show T-Vode because you're doing what you love and there are other people out there who love it too. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm very happy. I'm very lucky. I'm very, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky and I'm really happy about it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How's the, uh, I, for Halloween you did a couple of the readings of uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah. How, how did yes. those shows go? I, we were really... Those, those were amazing and... Um, you know, there, there's nothing like Plan 9, you no. know, uh, and we're doing it again for Sketchfest, uh, but we're not doing Plan 9, we wanted to do something else because we did Plan 9 last year, okay. so this year we're doing The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. <laughs> Excellent. But it's going to be a little different because it's, there's just nothing like Plan 9. Yeah. Uh, so for this one, it's going to be a hybrid of... A, a reading of the boy in the plastic bubble and some other elements that I'm building into it. You can't top. You cannot top. Yeah. Just to clarify, that's the John Travolta TV movie version, not the, yes. the not Bubble the, Boy or whatever. Cheap. Yeah. No, this is the original. <laughs> played straight as a heart attack. Boy in the plastic bubble. Uh, well, in January. Oh, so excited. Uh, at uh, Sketchfest, and, and we're doing a stand against people panel. Yay! Nice. Yeah. And is that down in uh, Los Angeles or? No, this is in Los yeah. Okay, yeah, that's it's why. That's why I thought. I just, just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Okay, so in San no, Francisco. We're bringing everybody up. Everybody's coming up for the panel, and we're doing the Boy in the Plastic Bubble. And the Boy in the Plastic Bubbles, uh, it'll be me. It's Janet, Deborah, Nate. I don't know if John's going to be available. Stephen Ogg, who was the Wear Pony, yeah, and is yeah. on Walking Dead. He's in it, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be really. And Scott Adsit, who's a crazy genius uh from uh 30 rock is in it it'll be really fun excellent i look forward to that well uh if you're ever looking for more movies to do like that i know one of favorite of this podcast and a personal favorite of my dear mother's it's no plan nine but a boy and his dog oh it was the don johnson movie yes yes Yes, is uh might be excellent as well i'll have to give that a look because we were really trying to find movies to do we we're going to do maybe St. Elmo's Fire. Ooh. Uh, but we were always looking. I'll have to give that a I haven't seen that in, in, in decades. I'll have to look at it. I don't know a better post-apocalyptic film about a boy and his telepathic dog. Yeah, well, I agree. Did Harlan Ellison write that? Did Harlan Ellison write that? Yes. I think yes, so. Yes, he did. Yeah, he's not hard to piss off. <laughs> 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 um, well, that, guys, uh, thank you very much for having me on. I, I uh, super appreciate it. And um, whatever night you come this weekend, please come up and say hello. Yeah, Thursday Absolutely. night. We'll see you there. Yeah, thank oh, you for Thursday joining night. us. Um, and as mentioned, the name of our podcast is Everything I Learned from Movies. So, in summation, 
what have you learned from your time in the movie industry and everything in general, I guess? <laughs> well, I have two, I have two, uh, two lessons that I've learned, and, and one, I'll, I'll reiterate that, what I learned last night was, the one thing that I've learned from the business is that things lead to things, and if you do stuff, it will lead to stuff. And the worst thing you can do is just sit in your apartment and bitch. Yeah. Um, you need to to get out there and do stuff. And you know, uh, Francis. And, and the other thing is, if you and and, and so that's what just do stuff, make stuff, go do stuff. <laughs> There's a whole internet there. You can make it and post it. <laughs> keep doing it. Things lead to things. And the other one is, if you believe in a project, you really want to. You, you believe it. Just start it. And and Francis Ford Coppola said like. If you are at one end of town and you have a bass drum and you walk down the middle of the street banging that drum, by the time you get across town, there will be a parade behind you. Yeah. But you just have to keep going. And uh, and that's absolutely something that uh, I've found to be true. That's my reminder that I have to go do the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much. We'll meet up in a couple of months when the new stuff's coming out. And, uh... Hopefully I'll see, you, I'll see you in a week. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, see you on Thursday. <laughs> Look for the insanely tall guy and the chick in the Belle of Aqua shirt. <laughs> it's okay. How tall are you? Just so I know. Six, six foot eight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll stand you out. Full foot, you got a full foot on me. Um, but well, th- thank you guys really so much, and uh, I'll see you Thursday. Great. Yeah. yeah thank you so have a good much. day, sir. Thank you so much. Have fun. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> Hey, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. So we... <laughs> so we just talked to Dana Gould. My wife is screaming incoherently for some reason, but um, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, when, honestly, when we started this podcast... One of our dream interviews was getting Dana Gould on, so we are glad that he was kind enough to join us. Oh my god. Um, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, guys. Watch Stand Against Evil on IFC. It's amazing. Oh, can we do a mini episode all about Stand Against Evil? Sure, why not? Can we do a whole separate podcast where we talk about every single episode and how amazing they are? Steve Against Evil. <gasps> Steve against Izzy. I like the yeah. sound of that podcast. <laughs> it's a battle royale. It's a battle royale. That she has the wins. size, but she takes out his knees every time. <laughs> Coming next week. No. But yeah, that was awesome. So yeah, go to DanaGould.com. Uh, find out where his live shows are going on. Uh, order Mr. Funny Man. Uh, his latest. Uh, he's also got plenty of other of uh, his uh, comedy albums on there. Uh, but yeah, check it out. If um, you didn't get my reference about Bellavacqua heating and air in my t-shirt, go buy the t-shirt and then get all kinds of caught up on Dana Gould Hour and you'll understand why Bellavacqua heating and air is fucking awesome. Dana Gould. that cool if we you're cool. The Dana Gould Hour. Never an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a great podcast. Usually about two or three hours an episode, but it's once a month. So, uh, but that's always podcast, amazing. podcast reach for the sky on Dana the Dana Gould, Gould Hour. hour. <laughs> we barely try. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll get more celebrity interviews in the future. Uh, it's always amazing just to hear their stories and how they got in the industry and just what they've learned from their years in the industry. I I really enjoy it, and hopefully you guys do too. Hit us up on Twitter at eilf movies. That's everything I learned from movies. We're at eilfm.podbean.com. Uh, we're on the tweet tweet. We're on the Facebook. Soon to be at istockyoudanagool.com. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> .org. No. Uh, it would be a .org, wouldn't it? Uh, so yeah, until next time. I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And this is Everything, Everything I, I Learned from, from movies. movies. Have a good night, everybody. Eee! Oh my god. Oh my god.